school age if you want to come maybe like up through fourth grade yes call you if you want to come doesn't matter to me oh it's, it's boys up here any girls want to come or nobody wants to brave this I kind of understand um, come on come on y'all look at me and I want to show you some pictures on the screen okay yeah I think we actually need some girls up here quite honestly <clears throat> yeah maybe the boys will behave better if the girls are here so hey I just got back from Africa Wednesday night and I wanted to show you some pictures of kids so you can look and we'll start scrolling through these now this is the picture and brother Steve I don't know if we can pause this one this is the one that kind of sparked all of this because I was sitting in this village and these kids their their fathers are plowing fields right now and so this young man created a plow and I think that's his little sister that he tied to be the cow and so they're walking through the village, and this is one of their toys. Now, I don't know if y'all have this toy, or your parents have bought this toy from Toys R Us yet, but probably you can order it at Amazon for sure. Um, but So their toys are different from ours. Uh, their, their houses don't have running water, and so this little girl, and this is several years ago, she had to go to the well, and all of their houses, they have to go and get water and bring it to their house. They don't have running water. Um, this little... This little sister had put a baby doll on little brother's back because that's the way their mothers uh, carry their babies. And so they were playing there. And these little guys are carrying water up to their house because they don't have running water. Um, they do go to school, but their schools are a little different than ours. And so, uh, but you can kind of see their schools and what they do. Uh, these guys, hey, just bicycles, you know. Pumping a friend. This guy, he was showing off one trip and wanted to do handstands for me. So, you know, they're just playing. They're just kids. And, of course, they, they love Brother Sammy. Yeah. Uh, so the kids followed us around that day. So, Brother Steve, you can just kind of you can scroll those if you want to. I had one other picture. I couldn't find it. But this is a kid, and this is a very typical toy. He has a bicycle tire and a stick, and they would roll it down the road. And this is a... I mean, they, they love to do this. So it's a kid, and I just I stopped him. And I kind of what I want to share with y'all is, you know, their life is different than ours. Their toys are different. Their, I don't know if you notice their clothes. Their clothes are different. We didn't necessarily see houses, but I'll show you some houses later. Their houses are different from ours. They kind of go to different schools. Uh, so a lot of the outward things that you have, quite honestly, they don't have. But you know what? When we go to talk to them... What we talk about is not the outward things. We talk about what's on the inside because what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. And what I've discovered is they're kind of on the inside. They're just kids just like you. And I thought of a of, of, of saying that Jesus said. I want you to listen real closely to this. Jesus said, what if a man gained the whole world but lost his soul? what would it profit him? What if a man gained, what if he got every possession, every toy, his, he had the nicest house and the nicest car, the nicest clothes, went to the nicest school, he had all of those things, he was rich on the outside, but Jesus said, if he was poor on the inside, 
it doesn't mean anything because what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. And what we go to share with the people of Africa is about what Jesus can do and that Jesus can change your life on the inside. He has the power to forgive us of our sins and give us joy and happiness and peace and purpose in life, which is far more valuable than the outward things that so many times we focus on. And so one of the things I shared with uh, the people this trip is that Jesus has the power to change us on the inside. And I kind of wanted you guys just to see that. We haven't, we haven't talked. And I'm going to show some more pictures from Africa. So hopefully you all can stay with me during the sermon this morning. Uh, but I wanted you to think about that. What's on the inside is far more important than what's on the outside. And it's Jesus that makes us rich on the inside. All right? All right. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for listening. Y'all were super. All right. Please return to your parents now. <clears throat> hey, I am thankful. Uh, and I'm going to share a report here in just a minute. And I, I'm thankful to you as a church in allowing me to be gone for Easter Sunday and to be with the Kenyanka people. Um, last Sunday we talked about being Victory Sunday and the things that we're celebrating. And I wanted, I wanted Leah and Megan to come. Y'all come. These girls, these girls are a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit nervous. I don't know if y'all want me to, I'm going to stand up here with you. You know, we really, there's a lot of things our church does. Y'all come on up. Um, but we have some major ministries that we do. And I'm going to share about Africa and the victory and what God has done uh, this trip. Uh, Leah Martin heads up our food ministry, which I'm going to let her describe. And it's, it's, it's an awesome ministry. And it's another one of our major ministries in most excellent way. Megan uh, heads up that. And so we, I wanted the ladies to come and just share because kind of a spillover from last week of celebrating victories. Just, and I asked them, I said, you just share with us what has God done and what is he doing? And I, I just want us to be able to celebrate as a church. And so I told Leah that Megan was more nervous than her, which she said, I don't know if that's true. I said, Megan's going to get to go first. So. <laughs> didn't I tell you that? No, you didn't. I didn't. Thank you. I'm ready for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to start with a quote that I found, and I absolutely love it because basically most excellent way is this. Um, Rock bottom became the solid foundation on which we rebuilt our life. The most excellent way is a Christian-based recovery meeting that meets every Friday at 630. We average anywhere from 30 to 40 people every Friday night. Um... We start, we feed, fellowship, have a short devotion, and then we come back and share what's on our hearts. And sharing is the most important part of the meeting. Um, this is a time that we encourage each other. We reach out to one another. We lift each other up and we hold each other accountable. And that's what we need as recovering addicts is to be held accountable. Um, a lot of the adults relate to one another from where we come from, but we have learned that a lot of the children have started relating to one another from where they come from as parents who has had an addiction. Um, we have had about six to eight people celebrate a year of sobriety this year. And that is a praise in itself. 
Um, and we could not do all of this without the love and support of this church, Sunday schools that provide our meals every Sunday. And we thank y'all and we love y'all. Hi, I'm Leah Martin. I'm the director of the Huntington Food Program. Um, Brother Daryl asked me to give some statistics a little bit of what we've been doing the past year, but I wanted to start with a little bit of background for some of the new faces that I see in the crowd. Um, when I had no idea when God put the desire to feed people in my heart in 2007 that it would become what it is today, and that is thank you to all the volunteers that commit their blood, sweat, and tears, and hard work in this church um, to make it as successful as it is. Um, we started out with 10 children in 2008, and we are currently um, one of the 250 agencies of the East Texas Food Bank and Tyler through Feeding America Initiative. We have three feeding programs that we offer. Our first one is our Pack Pals. That's our school feeding program. We have our open pantry, and then our most recent program that is celebrating its one-year anniversary this month is our produce drop for our community. Um, our Pack Pals kids, we are currently for our 2016-2017 feeding 86 kids a week. That is 2,408 bags of food that we have served them um, from September 7th of 2016 to just this last week. Um, Sue McKee heads up that program. We're always looking for volunteers to come help pack bags because that's 86 bags a week that we pack. Um, it's a blessing. Um, the kiddos that are on this program are facing food insecurities. They may experience and eat their last meal on Friday at lunch at school, and they may or may not have another meal until they come back Monday morning. And so those kids are um, suggested or they are recommended to us through our social workers and our teachers in our school district. Um, so that's how they are on, put on, placed on the program. Then um, we became an open food pantry um, in June of 2009. And this past year we have fed and the way we feed them is each household receives one box of food from us. We are client choice, meaning they go through and they can choose the foods that they want. We found that that cut down on waste. Um, some people may not want peanut butter, so we give them the choice of what they want to eat. And that's, um, so each family gets one box. Since January of 2016 to just our last pantry in April, we have given out 2,771 boxes of food, roughly feeding 5,542 people. Um, just in 2016 alone, and we're into our eighth year of the food pantry. Um, our produce, our most recent one that we have added, and that's headed up by Tom and Jenny Delosier and Mr. Bill Clark. Um, it is also, I didn't tell you, but the pantry is always the second Thursday of the month. Our produce is the second Monday of the month. Um, we have our family, this is com uh, feeds our community. It's free produce to our community. Anyone's welcome to come and get the free produce. Um, and we also go by households on this. They get a box of, pr of produce here. And since April of 2016 to this past April, we have given out 1,700 households of pro free produce to them. So um, it's been successful. Um, we couldn't do it without you. I definitely couldn't do it without the support of our um, the volunteers we're always needing. We covet your prayers, your donations, your time. Um, it's pretty, as in the words of my son, it's a pretty big deal, and it is a very big deal to the people that we service. And um, so, there you go. Thank you.
when the last team came back from Africa, uh, God put it on my heart. I said, man, it is time, or God spoke to me and said, it is time that um, the handfuls of believers in the different villages are brought together for one thing, for one gathering. And uh, originally I was going to go later this month, and, and I realized that in a couple of the villages they're already meeting for Easter, and I thought, no, I have to tie it into Easter. And so uh, I went, and I wanted to give you just a little bit. Uh, I have some Daryl Smith maps. Can I show my maps? Um, this is just Daryl Smith, you have to understand. But I know we talk about these things all the time. But when we come from Conakry, it's, it's way over west of even this map. When we come from Liberia, it's from the south. But uh, we, we come through the border at Ganta, and I did this trip, and I traveled that road. Uh, up to Zerakori, and then we go up to Bela. You see it at the top. And so when we talk about the big town, or the, it, it's Bela, and it's a, it's a pretty significant town of, I don't know how many people. Um, I want to show you a little bit. Of, this is a Daryl Smith map of Bela uh, to help you just put some things in perspective. Uh, I know, I know, I didn't, I, I didn't get the art award my senior year. <clears throat> Uh, but you see the road we come from Zeracori, and uh, when we talk about the church, there's a church there, and there's a roundabout right there at the market. And um, if you go on down the road this way, you come to where Swalu and the Pioneer Bible Translators live. It's in Congo Town. You see over to the right. Um, if you you went out the road to the left, you would go to Kirawani, which is is going to Conakry two days, but. Uh, there's also a little road that splits off to the north, Nyala, which was our original village with Musa. But if you go out the road and it says Dogbano, that is the road I want to show you. And I want to show you that big map. When we talk about the villages, this is what we're talking about. Uh, we're, you see Bela, the main town that we go into, but then uh, we, we're not allowed to store anymore in Nyala. But I always go and greet as we did this trip. Um, but our villages are Dogbano, Ludala which uh, is not really open to us anymore. Musadu is a large town, is the center of the, the Kanyanka people. Uh, we're also uh, not technically allowed to story there. Uh, but we go on out the road, and our newest village is Sunyolo, and Juanino is also, I'm just being honest with you, is a village that's kind of dried up. That initially we stayed there and we storied, but we don't anymore. I go by and uh, I have a friend, and... Uh, we story with him, the chief of that village, to keep that door at least partly open. Sogbonino is one of our primary villages. And then you can't see it on my map, but Suilo, which is where we had the Easter celebration. And then the road less traveled goes to Kamendu, which is... So there's about... This isn't exactly to scale, but about five miles. It's about six miles to Kamendu down that road, ten kilometers. But you can see there's a couple miles between each village. And so our practice has been to go and to uh, teach in each of those villages. And we have a person of peace, which is generally the chief and or the youth leader. And we're allowed. And so they, through the years, we've accumulated a handful. There may be three or four, or there may be seven or eight or nine or ten, or maybe up to 15 or 16 in Sogbonino, of ones have said that we believe uh, and are choosing to follow the Isa way. And so uh, I felt like that God laid on my heart that, this Easter was a time to have a gathering of all of those and to, to get the, particularly the key leaders to come together. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, I hope this helps you visualize kind of what we do. And can we start just scrolling the pictures now of the Easter uh, celebration? You'll see this. Uh, and so the days that led up to Easter, I um, went village by village and began to talk to the leaders about the Easter gathering. And Swallow had already began to talk to them about it. And a lot of those I stayed in that particular night. And I taught on the death of Jesus from the Thursday night, the upper room, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to his arrest, to the trials, the Jewish trial, the Roman trial, and then his crucifixion. And I taught on that when I would go to their villages. And then I would talk to them about that Easter, though, is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's the most important day in the whole year for us as the followers of Isa. And so I want you to get together. And you may not understand this, but the men are our key. Uh, actually, I'll be honest with you, we don't do children's ministry because if we do children's ministry, the men are never going to come. But if we can reach the men, then someday the children will also come. And so we, quite honestly, there's, there's groups of men that we meet with, and sometimes in the circle at night, there are women. Sometimes they sit in the circle, and sometimes they're outside the circle, and they listen. But quite honestly, it's mostly men, and there are key people in each of those villages. And I've been there a number of times so that I have a relationship with them. And it, it came down to this trip of me looking and saying, this is important. And I looked them in the eyes, men, and I said, this is important to me, that you be there. And to a man, they said, I will be there. Didn't know in Africa if that really meant they would be there. But what I discovered is they came. And uh, there was two leaders that I know that were sick. One was having surgery in Zerikori, and one was, had fallen sick since I saw him. Every one of those other men not only came, and they had to get a moto taxi to come, <laughs> um, or they had to walk if they were close enough, but they came. And so there were over 130 people there last Easter. Uh, I'll be honest with you, the key to that, that, there were 58 that were men, leaders from those villages that came together. And the phrase that God put on my heart is, no, it's going to be a historic event. For all of them to come together in one place because we've developed these relationships with them but there needed to be a day where they looked at each other and said no this is us we're in and we're committed they kept saying we'll be baptized uh, when we know that there are more of us <laughs> I need to know there's some others I know need to know that somebody's got my back um, and so uh, one of the things that kind of changed the dynamic of what we did uh, was that I went by the large, the original Kanyanka village, which is Musadu, which is a larger town. It's larger than a village. It's more of a small town. And there is the most uh, powerful government official is a man by the name of Mamadi Sidibey. He's called the commissioner. And I went by to inform Mamadi Sidibey, who's a friend of ours and mine. And I always go by and we talk about Jesus. And he's not a believer. Uh, but we talk. And uh, I went to inform him that we were going to have an Easter gathering. And almost offhand, I said, and I would invite you to come. And he immediately looked at me and said, I will be there. Um, which is all good, except in the African culture, when all of a sudden the main government official is going to be in the circle, it's, it changes the dynamic. And when the men began to hear, <laughs> then we had other meetings. This took a lot of groundwork of going village to village. And then we had to have other meetings because then they said oh Mamadi City Bay is coming hmm 
okay, well, let's talk about this. And so, quite honestly, the Sunday afternoon, the same time y'all are meeting here Sunday morning, uh, we're meeting about 4 o'clock in Swilo, and we've bought food and soft drinks, you know. And um, all of my men began to show up. And I tell you what, it blessed my heart to look around that circle and all those men that we've had different relationships with to come and to all look at each other. And Mama D. City Bay, the commissioner sitting beside me, or two men down, and uh, I did my introduction, my welcome, and acknowledged each leader. And um, and then there was a man that was there who is a he's a Kanyanka man, but he lives in Conakry. And his name is Aliu Kamara, and he's an evangelist. And he had been on a trip with our missionary Dietrich Kaufman out the road. And uh, I asked him to stay. He had been there the week before, and I asked him to stay for this event. And obviously, he has a heart for the Kenyanka people, and so he stayed. And the first thing that we did is that Aliu shared his testimony of converting from Islam to Christianity. And he spoke in there in the Kenyanki language. Very powerful. After that, I told the story <clears throat> of the resurrection of Isa, of Jesus. And um, I had a few points of challenge with them about what I've just shared with the children that Jesus has the power to change your life on the inside. The greatest thing that he can bring is on the inside. So I made several points. And then, then I had a pastor that I invited to come. Now, you have to understand that in the larger town of Bela, Bela is the edge of the Kenyanka people. And so in Bela, there's a mixture of tribes. And I know this doesn't make any sense to our American way of life. But the tribes are very important. Uh, and Pastor David has a church there in Bela up on the hill. A city set on a hill. And uh, I went by, and, and he has a heart for all people. You have to understand that before that, it's been a Pele church, which is another tribe. And so it did not, it did not connect with our Kanyanka people at all. But um, they burned down the church. <laughs> and it, was, it laid there in ruins for a year or so. And then, then this pastor came, and they rebuilt. And he has a heart for all tribes, and he has a heart for the Kanyanka people. And there are even some Kanyanka in his church. And... I went by to invite him. I wanted him to come to that circle that day. He was an African man. And I need you to be there. And I want you to share whatever it is that God lays on your heart. He actually ended up inviting me to preach last Sunday morning at his church. Wow. Anyhow, that's, that's a topic for another day. If you come to adult Bible study on Wednesday, I'll tell you about that. Um, but... I asked him to come, and so he, he took his motorcycle, and he came out, and he came, and after Aliu had shared his conversion experience, and I had shared the resurrection story, then I turned it over to Brother David, and I didn't know exactly what he was going to do, but what ends up, and of course I couldn't understand his language, he spoke in a dialect that they understand, and he told them of his conversion from Islam to Christianity, and uh, there was a certain level of tension, I think, in the group. And we kind of got through and um, not exactly what I wanted, all I wanted to do, but uh, I was told it was time to eat. And so as the women were bringing out the food in the midst of that circle, Mamadi City Bay, the commissioner, speaks. Now, I don't know what he's saying, uh, but then the translator comes, <laughs> knows this is significant, uh, Actually, the evangelist came, 
and stood in my ear in this. He would say, he would translate to me. And this is basically what the commissioner said, the, the government official whom God has given us favor with. He said, these are good people. And they have come here and they have not caused trouble and they have tried to bind us together. And he said, they are teaching you the right way. And he's not even a believer. Uh, but you need to listen to them. And then he said, uh, in Americanese, he said, I've got his back. Any place he wants to go, whatever he wants to do, nobody's to cause him any trouble. I am supporting him, and you need to support him. Or whoever comes, you understand. Um, and then he made this statement. Uh, he said, uh, today is a historic day. And that's what the translator said in my ear. He said the word historic. Mamadi City Bay, not even a believer, but a man, a government official that we've been given favor with, uh, said this has never happened among the Kenyanka people. Today is a historic day. Uh, and then he looked at those men and he said, next Easter, one of you men need to host this in your village. This is good. And actually in the African culture, and you have to think about the persecution that could come, to have the highest ranking government official to say, this meets all of my approval and I support this, and these are good people, and you need to do whatever you can for them. The tension fled. And you understand I'm an American. I don't even understand what they say or saying, but I'm getting little bits and pieces of this. Then what happened after Mama D. City Bay had spoken? Then it began to go around the circle. This chief, and this chief, and this chief, and this chief. All I know is the sense of them saying, I'm in. This is good. And so, I think it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but it was exactly what God wanted to do. And it's what we've talked about in our church this year when we talked about together. The key leaders came together, and God bound them together in unity of purpose. And in the African culture, that's huge. And I, quite honestly, I didn't see that exactly going in. But you understand, God takes care of your preacher when y'all are praying for him. You understand? Yeah. And God engineers circumstances to say, no, this is actually what needs to occur today. And it did. And so it was a powerful event. Uh, there was eating. And uh, then it kind of went back around the circle again and... Obviously, Pastor David, he's a preacher. He had to say some more, you know, preachers. <clears throat> and really said to the men, I am here for you. And I have a heart for the Kenyanka people. And I travel this road and I will be here. And he is going to be an invaluable asset to us, uh, to help us. And he has started little house churches in villages, not in this region, but in another region. And so um, it took me a while as a pastor to kind of um, uh, sift through all of that. And it's hard for me to convey in this time frame, and particularly if you haven't been there, the significance of the event. But it was a huge step forward, I think, in what God wants to do among the Kenyanka people. And, and quite honestly, it's not even so much what happened that day, but what will happen in the days that follow, when basically they know 
uh, there is a group of us that we can find strength and encouragement from. And so I encourage you to pr- continue to pray for the Kenyanka people. I'm going to ask Brother David Box to come and lead us in prayer. Brother David, I want you to pray, yes, for Africa missions. I want you to pray for our food pantry for most excellent way. Uh, just these are ways that God is using us to touch the world and change the world. It has to be his power. I'm not telling you what to pray. You pray whatever God lays on your heart. He just told me as long as I follow what he says, I won't get hurt. So. Yes, that's right. Let's pray. <clears throat> Man, God, I come to you and... Uh, First off, I want to thank you for your love and your mercy and and for you caring enough about all of us to, to send your son to live and to die and then to rise again. Father, I thank you for the people uh, that are concerned enough that, that we'll reach out to others. And God, I know, I see, I've seen it firsthand and I know, I know folks in this in this building have that without your Holy Spirit going before us and convicting folks and uh, opening doors that that none of this would be possible. Father, I, I pray for those that are in the uh, in first place. Thank you for that ministry. Thank you for the ones that come. I I pray that you would give them strength to look to you, those that are working with them, endurance and strength to continue forward. And, Father, I just ask you would continue to bless the food pantry. Father, I know there's there's lives that are reached and touched, and and, and it's in ways that... that, uh, that we never see or anticipate as I listen to Brother Darrell. You know, things don't, They have, a lot of times they have a way of not going the way we plan them out, but, Father, the way you plan them out. And, uh, God, I, I want to thank you for the ministry in, in Africa, and I ask that you would continue. Again, Father, thank you for, for this historic event. And with anxiousness we look to see what you do in the future again you've opened doors there that that yeah you tell us to go but man we're <laughs> we're pretty feeble uh, but without your but your holy spirit going before us and touching those lives we just want to thank you for that be with those kenyaka people and and uh as even our folks here, that we're here for each other and that, that that your Holy Spirit will guide us. Father, I just pray there, here, all over the world that you would continue uh, to bind Satan and help us as Christians to be faithful. Even when we don't, we don't feel like it, we don't. It's not working out the way we plan. It's not happening fast enough for us. But for us just to be faithful, to continue every day to do what you would have us to. God, again, I ask that you would bless those that are willing uh, to go and, and, and serve you. God, and, and thank you again. Thank you for your love and for all that you do for us. And it's all in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.
three weeks to talk about uh, some things, and I've entitled these little group of sermons Generation to Generation. And, uh, and I want to just kind of introduce the theme this morning, and then we'll be finished. But uh, in Psalm 145, verse 4, which I read this morning at the welcome, uh, David says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Um, the way he phrases that, uh, it has the sense that as God is moved in one generation, before that generation passes away, they have to pass that down to the next generation. Do you understand? Generation to generation. And each generation needs to have their own experience and encounter with God. Amen? But it's my responsibility before my time is up to make sure I have passed that down to the next generation. I have to pass the baton. Um, about a month and a half ago, I lost my last uncle. My uncle Bill Spencer, and he lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and uh, don't have time to go into it, but his family and my family, we vacationed together. We, our, our kids are kind of the same age. In fact, my favorite cousin in the whole world is Byron Spencer. He's such my favorite cousin. When you have your first son, you just name him after Cousin Byron. Uh, that's where Byron gets his name from. But we vacationed together. I spent a lot of time. They were kind of my favorite cousins. I hope the rest of the cousins don't listen to this on the Internet. But anyhow, loved spending time at the Spencer's household and Uncle Bill was a part of that, and so when he passed away, and actually the, before he passed away, uh, my cousin Laurie, uh, who's a Baptist preacher's wife, she called me and said, Daryl, we want you, when Daddy passes away, we want you to come and do the service, and kind of have to understand that's quite an honor because there's six or seven or eight of us preachers in the among the cousins, the grandkids. I mean, you, you swing a stick at the family reunion, you hit a preacher. You know, they're everywhere. And so I said, wow, okay. No, I, I love my Uncle Bill. That would be an honor to me. And so about a month and a half ago, I went back for that service when my Uncle Bill passed away. And, um, and what I described that day was that uh, there have to be men, and I was speaking from my perspective, there have to be men in my life that fill in the gaps of influence. Now, I have a great godly father who's a great role model. And there were other, probably quite honestly, more significant influencers in my life. But I said, you know, ever, I'm just speaking as a man, every man needs some other men that fill in those gaps that I look and I go, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian husband. And that what hard working and love your wife and take care of your kids. And he was a deacon at his church. And when we went, we went to church, Uncle Bill. Um, and so... That's the way I describe my Uncle Bill. He was one of those people that filled in the gaps that I looked to and I went, wow, okay. He was setting the pace. I knew I had another picture, another example of what it meant to be a man who was following and doing life God's way. And um, I turned to my cousins. So there's Cousin Laurie, and then there's three boys, Doug and Byron and Glenn. And then Laurie's husband, Mike. And 
I just, you have to understand, my dad, Uncle Ray, is the only uncle left. And so it's kind of, when these funerals happen, you go, okay, this is kind of a passing of a generation, you realize. And so I look to my cousins, who I have a relationship with, and sometimes when you're family, you can just say, no, look at, no, what I'm talking, this is what I'm talking about right here. There's no reason to be nice. Might as well be plain spoken. And I said, you boys understand that Uncle Bill was one of those people in my life. But Uncle Bill's gone now. And pretty much that generation is gone. And I said, the baton has been passed to us. And now those great-grandkids are looking to us. What kind of, what's it going to look like when they look to our lives? Are we setting the pace? Are we living it the way that they go, no, that, no, I understand what it looks like for a man to love God and to follow after him. And so I challenged my, my male cousins to say, no, it's time for us to set the pace and to be those people in other people's lives. And uh, I read that day the, the poem called the bridge builder. I think it's something you've heard. It said, An old man going along highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. <laughs> old man said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I've come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth, may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. When I talk about generation to generation, uh, I talk in that spirit to say whatever generation we are, there's a generation behind us that looks to us that we are responsible for influencing. It almost sounds like a cliche now, but I've heard this. Christianity is one generation away from becoming extinct. If we do not pass down the faith to the next generation, there will be no church tomorrow. And so I would say to us, as we will start in the weeks to come, to think about and to let God speak to us about generation to generation, I want you to know that we as a church are a family. We are multi-generational, but we are also to be intergenerational. And we have a responsibility to pass our faith down to the next generation. And I, I just, I hope that you would begin to think and pray about that and allow God in these next 
few weeks uh, for God to challenge us in that. So, amen? Amen. I know this has kind of been a little bit different Sunday, but it's all right to be different, isn't it? Amen? David Shaw? Yes? Uh, we're going to stand. Join, and no, we're not, no, we're not going to join hands. I'm sorry. No, we're going to stand for the time of invitation. Um, this morning I'll be at the front. Um, I want to pray before we, we start. Uh, I want you to know that this is a time for you to make a commitment to Christ. Maybe you've never crossed the line of faith. Something that God is dealing with you about. And today is the day to say, no, I'm in. And I'm choosing to walk in the way that Jesus would have for me. Uh, maybe you've made that choice and your next step is baptism. You know that you've been saved, but it's time to make that public. And you can come and tell me that this morning. Maybe, maybe you say, you know what? Uh, this is a place where I need to raise my family. I need to be a part of this family as we help each other, encourage one another, and strengthen one another. And maybe you're already Christians, you've been baptized. But maybe you need to make a commitment to this church to say, no, I'm in. So let me pray, and then we'll have our time of commitment. Father, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for being an awesome God. And having, uh, Father, just being at work in the world in so many different ways. I thank you for the people here that have a desire to make an impact on other people's lives. And so we pray that each of the ministries uh, that we, Father, just talked about today and others, that you would use those to impact our world and change our world. And so, Father, we pray that you continue to lead us and guide us. And Father, our faith would be so vibrant and so contagious that, Father, we would naturally but intentionally uh, pass that baton to the next generation. And so, Father, we just we pray uh, that you would be glorified in all that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name.